0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you for bringing us all together uh, to share the information that we hope to gain out of our study of the prophet Isaiah. It is not going to be an easy session, uh, but we hope that the work involved uh, will pay off through interest and bringing us closer to you. So we thank you for this time together, and we thank you and praise you in all things in Jesus' name. All right, let's get into an important subject. When you hear the word prophet, what is it that you think about? Anyone want to give me an an idea? Or what do they think about... Yes, Betty? That's right. That is not the case. The term prophet, or the word prophet, when translated from the Hebrew through the Greek, through the Latin to English, really, if you go back, it means one who speaks for God. All right. That is important that you keep that in mind. A prophet is not somebody who tells the future. It is a person who speaks with the authority of God and in the voice of God to his people. Now, that doesn't mean that the prophet may talk about something that will happen in the future. Or is to be completed in the future. But that is not prophecy. We take it as prophecy because it's an easy way of explaining it. But you've got to be careful. If you explain about something that is going to happen in the future, you are not a prophet if it comes true. Because it is common knowledge to you It may not be to the person or persons to whom you are speaking, but it is common knowledge to you, and therefore it is not prophecy. St. Peter tells us in the second letter of Peter that prophecy is not something that is the subject of a man or human being's willingness, but it is under the power of God working through him that he voices a statement of truth. So keep in mind, the word prophet does not mean somebody who tells the future, but somebody who speaks with authority uh, for God or in the voice of God. Which I think gives it more importance and more depth uh, of meaning All right, now, just what is a prophet and why? Now I'd like you to go to this part of your handout. Over a period of time, God has used individuals, and groups of individuals in his furtherance of his plan of salvation. From the time of Abraham to the time of Christ, there were four different major groups of people being used as partners in God's plan of salvation. the time between the call of Abraham in roughly 2,000 years before Christ and the time of Christ, those 2,000 years are divided into four major sections. Not quite equally of 500 years, but relatively so. All right, and so we're just going to kind of use the 500 years as a general figure, but technically uh, it isn't, partly because the calendars used way back at the time of Abraham and up through uh, the time, well, all, almost all the way up to Julius Caesar when the Julian calendar was developed. There was no... Uh, calendar that was universally accepted. Each little tribe, each little country or each little nation had their own calendar but there was no universal calendar as we have now. Uh, Julius Caesar was the first one to develop a calendar that was accepted and used throughout the Roman Empire and that was begun around the year 440 BC and it was used in sort of uh, uh, an equal way through most countries and through through most nations, all the way up until the 16th century, when Pope Gregory VIII developed the Gregorian calendar, which is now universally used throughout the world. All right, but going back to these four periods of time, and the reason I'm dwelling on this is because in, to order in order to understand the prophets you have to understand their particular place in Jewish history or Old Testament or Bible history. And this class is going to be as much on history as it will be on Scripture. Because it is history that affected Scripture in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's the other way around. It is Scripture and religion that affected history. If you think about it, for example, uh, the founding fathers of uh, the United States of America came here primarily from countries where they were um, not exactly persecuted, but under a lot of constraints uh, due to their faith. And so they came here searching for a country free of government control by the church. And so that is why we have uh, the separation of church and state so prominently placed uh, throughout our religion. Unfortunately, some people take that uh, to extremes. Let's go back, though. From the time of Abraham... To the time of Moses, the Jewish people were under the control and guidance of the patriarchs, All right, a group of men, in this case almost all related, uh, that governed these people. And because there were no written rules, there was no written or uh, guiding laws during this period of time. These were known as the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to some degree uh, Jacob's son Joseph. And you can read the details later, all right. What I'm trying to get to is to have you see the uh the partners that God has used during different time periods to help him further his plan of salvation. From the time of Moses to the time of King Saul roughly another 500 year period we had the time of the Judges. One of the books of the Bible is called the Books of Judges and in that you will have uh, several of the Judges listed and uh, that's a rather interesting period of time as well. During this time from Moses to King Saul, you had a development within Judaism that was based solely on the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses shortly after their release or their escape, you might say, from Egypt and still while they're wandering in the desert. During that time period, Moses expanded on some of those Our commandments primarily to govern the people uh, in a way through wandering in the desert for roughly 40 years. Now, not all of the Jewish laws that make up the Torah, 613 of them, were developed by Moses. The hygiene laws were very prominently developed by Moses or most of them were uh, for hygiene purposes not for religious purposes obviously when you have a number of people a large number of people wandering through the Sinai desert you had to have some very strict laws solely for health purposes and these were established rightly so Uh, by Moses, but over a period of time they became part of the Jewish law and part of sacred law to the Jewish people. But they were never intended that in the beginning. Let's go on. From the time of King David to the Babylonian exile not quite 500 years but a long period of time. This is what I consider, as I say right here at the top of it. This is considered the most productive and also the most destructive period of Jewish history. But this is the time period during which God brings in the prophets. All right. Almost 500 years. And there are 15 literary prophets. And the reason I say literary prophets is because these are the prophets that left us writings of their teachings. We have a couple other prophets, Elijah and Elisha, who were very instrumental in the earlier period between Moses and King Saul, uh, but they did not leave us any written works. All right. So the time period of King David uh, to the Babylonian exile is the time period that we will be talking most about during these ten classes. All right? It's important that you realize that this is the time period that we are going to be studying because you have to understand the history that supports or is involved in this Time period, and we'll get into that as we go along. (coughs) Excuse me. And I feel that it is probably the most interesting, as well as, as I say here, uh, productive and destructive. Why is it productive? Productive because this is the time period during which the Jewish scriptures were written down. It is probably David or Solomon, his son, who encouraged the writing down of Jewish scriptures. Up till this time, they were carried by word of mouth, from person to person, from generation to generation, etc. But you know how that uh, affects the content. When things are passed down verbally, it Sometimes changes the meaning, the inflection, the importance, etc. So Moses, or I'm sorry, David, or Solomon encouraged the writing down, and the books of Genesis. Well, no, let me. There's an exception there. The books of Exodus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Exodus, Leviticus, thank you. (laughs) Those four books were written in this period of time. They were not completed as we have them today until the following period, shortly after the exile. Uh, And that's a whole story in itself. But then we go to the next period of time, from the exile from Babylon to Jesus Christ. This is the time period when the prophets faded out of existence and the temple high priest uh, became the predominant ruler of the Jewish people. So you see over a four, all these four periods of time, Judaism changed significantly in content, in style, in meaning. And it is the third period of time that we are going to be talking about primarily throughout this class. But the reason I want you to see this is because if you hear something from a particular period of time, primarily at our Mass or other liturgies or your own reading, if you know what period of time the writer is talking about you can put it into a little bit better concept of your understanding as to what is going on during that period of time, what was important uh, and why is that particular period of time different than the other three. Is that understood? So that is why we're going to be talking a great deal about history uh, during this course on Isaiah. As I said, from the time of the Babylonian exile. Let me give you a little example. In the third period of time, the book of Deuteronomy was written. And it was not accepted because it was too harsh. The people didn't like it. People didn't like the prophets. People didn't like a lot of things, all right? And so it was sort of shoved in the back of the uh, temple in Jerusalem because, again, the people didn't want to hear it. Uh, it was too confining to them. But during the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, and when it was a foregone conclusion that Babylon was going to succeed in conquering Jerusalem, the book was removed from the temple and taken with the captives to Babylon. And they were sat there for several years, a total of 50 to be exact. But during the early part of the time, they couldn't understand Why God let them down and left them to be carried off to Babylon. A lot of other things happened in the northern kingdom and I'm going to discuss that in a few minutes. But they couldn't understand why God let them down. But finally through the prophet Ezekiel not Isaiah but Ezekiel who was there with them and the book of Deuteronomy was then brought out and they began to see it was their own sinfulness that became so heavy, so great that God finally allowed them to be conquered by the Babylonians as a way of not only teaching them but finally getting their attention. So in Babylon they finally got religion. Okay? And they were going to do things this way and they were going to follow the law and they were going to, you know, in the, <clears throat> all of this affirmation here. So when they did come back, finally, a small group of them, not all of them, but a small group of them came back beginning in the year 539 B.C. They brought the book of Deuteronomy with them, which became the basis for fairly modern uh, Judaism of that time period. So we're now into the fourth time period, okay? And they did follow the law. Unfortunately, they went the other way. They went so far as following the law that the law became more important than the lawgiver. The law was more important than God himself. And unfortunately... Uh, we see that in many ways if we read some of the later books of the Bible and some of the uh, readings of the New Testament that reflect uh, the time periods here. The law was so important to them because of past history that they lost sight of God himself. <coughs> Excuse me. Any questions so far? Back on your prophets in history. Yeah. Your last column says key verses. It looks like one verse for each prophet. Why are these verses key verses? Four well, most of the prophets so it's a good point. Most of the prophets have one major uh message. You see, and I think, let me do explain a little bit more. When we study Isaiah, you're not going to get a story. You're not going to get history. That's why I have to teach the history in addition to what Isaiah is saying. The prophets, as I said, were speaking for God. And therefore, each portion for example, chapters one through six, or one through five of the prophet Isaiah is more or less an overview of the entire book. Then we go to, but you see, it doesn't tell you anything about who Isaiah is, because that's not important. What is important is the message that we are getting through Isaiah from God, all right? Then you go to uh, chapters 6 through 12. That gives us a little bit of who Isaiah is, but more of what his mission is. And then you go uh, to the next group. And each of these are kind of stand-alone. And they're either um, oracles, which are warnings, uh, or they're poems, which are more like prayers. So you have a difference here. You do not have a narrative that is like some of the letters of Paul or like the Gospels. These are not stories that have a beginning and a, a middle and an end. Right. So you cannot expect it that way. You there have to key into what is the message. Right. So one of the things that I would like you to do in this coming week, is to take the first five chapters, and they're very short. Some of the chapters are only a half a page. Uh, it's not the length of the chapter, it's what it says. That's very important. And each chapter will have one or two key verses, but in that particular list that you have, it's the whole message of that particular prophet that is listed there. And that's pretty difficult to do uh, to narrow it down to a few words. Um, excuse me. Well, I lost my train of thought here a little bit, but uh, that's not unusual. Any questions? Yes Yes, yes. all right now Karen just brought up an uh, interesting point and one of the things that I wanted to talk about. David, King David is known primarily for uniting all of uh, Israel. going back even further when the Israelites came into the promised land under the guidance of uh, Joshua and Caleb God distributed the land of Israel to the various tribes remember there were 12 tribes of Israel so each tribe got a certain portion of land and for many years they were not to trespass or go beyond or uh, encroach on any other uh, tribe's land. And it became a little restrictive, but nevertheless, uh, this is the way it was. But at the same time, the leaders of each of these tribes then became like little kings in all of their groups or out of their little uh, divisions of Israel. Well it was King David who united all of these uh under himself uh, and he was unanimously elected as their king. All right. Uh and Solomon continued that after David. So you have a period of about 80 years give or take a little which we call the golden age of Jerusalem uh, golden age of Judaism. All right under which uh, Israel really flourished and became a very prosperous and wealthy nation. Well, when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took over, it was too much for him. And he didn't want it. So what he did was he made a deal with Jeroboam. Don't confuse the two. I have a hard time pronouncing the names. Uh who was not fully Jewish, he was uh, and not related, uh, but he ended up with the larger portion in mileage and so forth of the northern part of Israel. And Rehoboam and subsequent kings took over the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And that's from the province of the land of Judah, which was one of the uh, tribes uh, of Jacob. Okay. So you got to keep in mind now that we have two separate nations. And this is the way they saw themselves. And they established their own uh, kingdom uh, their own uh, center of authority. The Southern Kingdom obviously was established at Jerusalem. The Northern Kingdom center was at Shechem in Syria um, in Samaria, excuse me. Alright? Yes, sir. Is Judea and Judah two days the same place? Uh yes. Yes. One grew out of the other. All right, there's a little story if you want to know where the word Jew came from. A lot of people think that that's a derogatory word, and it is not. So when you hear me use the word Jew, I am not talking about the Jewish people in a derogatory way. (laughs) Several places in the Bible you will hear the word Israelite, uh Even in the New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles, you will hear the uh, names uh, Hittite, uh, uh, Prizite, and so forth. The word ite, on the end of a word, generally refers to a place where the people come from, or who their leader is, all right? So, the word Jew is not in any of the early books of the Bible. You will not see that in any of the books of the Bible. until so those that were written after the Babylonian captivity, and that is because when Cyrus the Great started to release the captives, the Jewish captives in Babylon, to return to Israel, they returned to Judah. Okay, the um, kingdom or the province of Judah, you might say. And they became Judahites. And you'll see that word in your book here when you start reading it. The word Judahite is not a common word. It is not used in a lot of writings. But Judahite was only a way to define those people who lived in the land of Judah. All right. And after a while, that was then kind of pared down to Jew. So the word Jew does not come from Jerusalem. It comes from the word Judahite or Judah. But Judah and Judea are the same same place. Any other questions? And I'm getting you all confused now. Sometimes that's the best way to be.
1: The writings, the Bible was put into writing under Solomon for that period. Then after that, they split. Now, did both Israel and Judah follow the same writings? Not the Deuteronomy, of course. But...
0: Well, yes and no. That's a whole story in itself. I'll try to kind of give you a quick answer. All right. When either Solomon or, or David started to encourage people to write these down, you had a small group in Judah or Judea who began writing the Jewish histories. Sacred scripture did not start out as sacred scripture. It started out as history. And that's true even in the New Testament. They did not start out to write. I'm going to sit down and write sacred scripture. They sat down to write history. So you had a small group of people in the southern kingdom that began somewhere around uh, the 10th century, maybe the 9th century. Almost at the same time, you had another group of faithful people up in the northern kingdom and they started writing down. These were the uh, Deuteronomists. And they began to write down their version of history. Then you had another group down in the south and another group up in the north. You had the priestly group also. So you had actually four different groups of people writing what they thought was Jewish history. It wasn't until after the Babylonian captivity that the priest Ezra kind of took all of those together and developed in pretty much into what we have today. All right. Not all of them were written by the 5th century. Uh, most of the wisdom books were written later. But by the second century B.C., the Old Testament, as we understand it today, and have it today, was pretty well in its present format. Okay. Does that answer your question? It's a long way around. But nevertheless, uh, it helps to kind of understand. Okay. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, Fiona just asked her an interesting question. How did God choose the prophets? Well, and she refers to the way Jesus chose his disciples and eventually the apostles. Um, we don't know exactly, so I can't give you exact, but our best estimation is uh, the prophet Jeremiah is the one that kind of explains some of that. Um, If you care to read Jeremiah, and he's very interesting. He's a young fellow who, first of all, didn't want to be a prophet. He kept saying, Lord, I'm too young. I don't want to do this. I've got this to do, and I've got that to do. Well, it says, never mind all of that. I'll help you take care of that, uh, but I want you to do such and such. Okay. We don't know exactly how Isaiah got his information we know that he uses the term visions, which is a very common way. Obviously God, not being a human being, was not down there and picking and choosing. Uh, So he inspires people and it is probably through either prayer or visions. But that's the best I can tell you because we have no way of knowing. Uh, But you'll see right in the beginning Isaiah starts out uh, that he is the son of Amos. Now, Amos, he's, and Amos is spelled A-M-O-Z, not to be confused with the prophet Amos. All right. Now, you have at the same time that Isaiah is working with his people, you have three other prophets working with other groups. Obviously, because communication isn't uh, prevalent. Uh, and as speedy as we have it today, you can't put uh, your message on Facebook or something and have everybody know it in five seconds. So you have different prophets working in different areas. So you have Hosea, Amos, uh, Hosea, Amos, what's that? Hosea, okay, all right. And uh, let's see. Who else do we miss? No. No, 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 no. You think so, sorry. Joel. All right. Okay. Anyways, just don't confuse uh, the father of Isaiah With the prophet Amos. Uh, One is ending in S. One is ending in Z. uh, Different names. But they all. Have a similar message. And that message is that. Both Israel. The north. And Judah in the south. Are diverting. From the laws. Of Moses. And diverting in a destructive way, spiritually. Let me back up now. As I said, Moses, I mean uh, King David and Solomon developed Israel into the golden age of Judaism. And they became very prosperous. Now, what happens in a nation that is very prosperous? They sort of lose sight of the need for God. And that's exactly what happened here. Many people, when they think of, I remember when I was in elementary school, uh, we were led to believe that these were, uh, very, very primitive people and very poor and everything was very small and insignificant and so forth. That isn't the truth. Okay? Uh, not only was the area surrounding Jerusalem, very prosperous and very modern for its time and place. But also in the northern uh, kingdom, particularly through Galilee uh, and through Samaria, you had the silk route that was running all the way from China to the Mediterranean, went right through northern Israel. And this developed a very cosmopolitan uh group of people you might say because it was people from all over uh, the known world of the time that lived in the northern part of Israel and that is why Jesus Christ established and started his ministry in the northern part of Israel because it was more open and accepting to new ideas whereas southern uh, Israel, the area around Jerusalem uh, was more uh, orthodox you might say and not open to ideas uh, and that's part of the problem also that developed after the people came back from uh, Babylon where I said you know they finally got religion and they picked up the book of uh, Deuteronomy and they were going to live it faithfully. Well, what happened was what is the total message that God has given all of mankind universally right from the beginning? The whole concept of God is to embrace all of mankind. And you don't do that by closing yourself off. You can only do that by opening yourself up to all of mankind. All right. But what the people did after uh, Solomon developed uh, trade routes, uh, if you just read uh, let me think of it. But if you just read the stories of the Queen of Sheba visiting uh, Solomon, and what happened during that period of time, and what she saw, and that's in um, uh, forget which uh, the, the first book of Kings. I forgot the chapter. Okay, first book of Kings. I think it's around uh, chapter eight, someplace in there. Read the story of of uh, the Queen of Sheba, and the riches that she saw at the time. And all of the things that she saw. It gives you an idea of the prosperity. And so what happens is these people began to turn away from God and go their own way. They wanted to be, their overall desire was to be like other prosperous nations around them. And that was not what God wanted for them. God was not pleased when they demanded a king. In fact, I'd like to even read that passage here because it's important. This is going to be chapter 8 of the first book of Samuel. I'm going to read this because it's not very long, but it's, it's interesting in a way and fits in here. It says, in his old age, Samuel appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now remember, this is still the uh, second period of history. Judges. His firstborn was named Joel. His second one was Abijah. They judged at Beersheba. His sons did not follow his example, but sought illicit gain and accepted bribes, perverting justice. This is what was prevailing at the time. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came in a body to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Now that you are old and your sons do not follow your example, appoint a king over us, as other nations have, to judge us. It was very important that they looked upon and measured themselves up uh, against other nations. Samuel was displeased and so was God when they asked for a king to judge them. He prayed to the Lord, however, who said in answer, Grant the people's every request. It is not they, it is not you they reject. They are rejecting me as their king. As they have treated me constantly from the day I brought them from the uh, Egypt to this day, deserting me and worshiping strange gods, so do Uh, so do uh, so do they threat uh, you too. Now grant the request but at the same time warn them solemnly and inform them uh, of the rights of the king who will rule over them. And so he goes through all of this whole list of things Uh, God is telling Samuel who sort of acted as a prophet in a way, but did not leave us any written information of his own. This is written by someone else. Uh, how God was displeased, but recognized the people's desire and was going to give in to them. But through that, he was going to teach them a lesson. And he finally did too, as well. So we have all of these converging problems that are going on now. And this is why I call it the most constructive and the most destructive period of time. Okay, Um, You have the constructive part, the writing down of scripture, the destructive part by people actually working against that. So you have both of these forces going on. The prophets were brought in to try to balance or lies the evil that was being created by the rulers of the people. Now, we're not talking about all of the little people of uh, both Israel or Judah. It is the rulers, but the people had to follow the rulers because that was uh, their way of life, that was part of their laws. And so they followed them, and, you know, unfortunately they followed them all all the way to Babylon. Uh, The northern kingdom was overrun by the Assyrians in the year 722 BC for the same reason. Very same reason. They neglected God. They brought in their own pagan gods. They set up altars and pillars. If you see this word pillars, this is a special type of altar shaped in the form of a pillar that was worshipped as a memorial to a pagan god and that was set up quite prominently throughout the northern kingdom not so much in the southern but both the north and the south received a retribution you might say from God through Assyria in the north who wiped them out entirely never to be seen again uh, and in the south by the Babylonians now one of the key words in here is remnant when we think of remnant we think of a small piece of garment what is meant in, by the term remnant in Jewish faith is the small group of people who return from Babylon to Israel to set it up and begin again. What they found was disheartening because the temple had been destroyed, uh, although the prosperous city had been destroyed, because when the Babylonians carted them off to Israel, I mean to Babylon, uh, they left behind the sick, the weak, the old people, anybody who could not Provide them with some means of existence or help. Uh, people who were, uh, maids or or teachers or craftsmen, uh, were taken. All the others were left behind. Well, if you take all of the able-bodied men out of a country, uh, what's left? You know, old women, children, uh, and who can provide? Who can work? And so their city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed in more ways than one. All right. So when they returned, the remnant was recognized as the new life given to Israel. Unfortunately, a lot of the people in this remnant had never been to Jerusalem. So they didn't know what they were returning to. And when they got there, they were pretty disheartened. In your handout uh, is a page called Important Points to Remember. I've covered some of these already. I would like to... It's on the back of this page here. Here. We've covered the meaning of the word prophet, one who speaks for God. What I didn't say at that time, and and I want you to bring out now, is that even though a prophet will talk about things that will not be fulfilled or will not be completed until some future date, it had to have meaning at that time to the people who heard it. You can't just say, well, I'll dismiss what he's saying and, and wait for that time. Because that time might be uh, 50, 100, 150, a couple hundred years away. All right? So whatever the prophet says, even though it is something that is to be completed in the future, it had to have meaning to the people of that time period. The prophet Isaiah, the prophet, actually, it's a misnomer because, as I said earlier, the book of the prophet Isaiah covers roughly 400 years of time. Not continuously 400 years, but sporadically over a period of 400 years. All right. So chapters 1 through 39 is what we call 1st Isaiah. And it is generally attributed to one person who we call Isaiah. All right. Then chapters 40 through 55 or 54 uh, is what we call Deutero-Isaiah or 2nd Isaiah. And then you have the remainder 55 through 65 or 66 um, is 3rd Isaiah. And they have different time periods and different messages. Okay. So, the prophet Isaiah, you have to kind of be careful who you're talking about and what time period you're talking about. And that is why I gave you, you know, this long, drawn-out exercise uh, on time periods. Okay. Because the Isaiah that we will be studying here came from this third time period, okay? But when we get to the next session, which will begin in January, which will begin in January, that will be the second and third Isaiah, which will belong to this last time period. So be careful uh, when you're reading Isaiah as to what time period you're talking about and you can pretty much judge that by what chapter you're in. Okay? So, if you want to write it down, 1 through 39 is 1st Isaiah. 40 through 54 is 2nd Isaiah. And 55 through 66 is 3rd Isaiah. Now, some of those, the 54 and the 55 slightly overlap. Right, but it's not very important. Why these were added on and uh, included in the book of Isaiah under one name, we have no way of knowing. No one can give you a good answer. If they do try to explain, it is mere speculation. So I won't even try. One through thirty nine is first Isaiah, forty through fifty four is second, and fifty five through sixty six is the third. We already talked about the nation of Israel was actually two separate kingdoms, the northern being Israel and the second being Judah. Okay. The need to understand the political and social climate of both kingdoms is very important to the understanding of the prophet's message. This was a time of great apostasy and neglect of the poor a major sin in the eyes of God. Even up to the time of Christ, there is a great amount of teaching in the New Testament, both in the Gospels and in the various letters of Paul and others, about, and you'll hear this kind of phrase of the three run together, right? widows, orphans, and the poor in general. Why are oh, why do so much of our scriptures uh, refer to these three groups? All right? And that is because in Jewish law, if a wealthy man dies, leaving an abundance of wealth, it goes to the first male child in that family not to the widow the widow is cut out and all the other children are cut out with the exception and the understanding that it is the first born male who inherits everything is to take care of the widow and any other children but in many cases they didn't human nature again um, orphans the same way orphans had absolutely no legal standing whatsoever children under the age of 30 on their own had no legal standing and so could you know there wasn't uh, all kinds of entitlement programs like we have today they were totally on their own and they were marginalized and disregarded by the general population, because, again, erroneously, if you were poor, if you were a widow, or if you were an orphan, it was because you were a great sinner. Automatically. And God, through the prophets, tried to warn the people that this was not true. This was not the way he looked at it. And Jesus did the very same thing. Kept warning the people that they were being led down the garden path so to speak uh by believing that and that was far from the truth and far from his will yes probably mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. very good point yes okay so you got to keep that in mind that's why I list these here as important points to remember because you might say well why is this being repeated so often? It's because it became such a serious situation. Now here's another important point. The overriding mission or purpose of the Jews as well as Christianity was to be a light to the nations. That is in this case, the word nations, when translated back into the Hebrew, comes out Gentile. So if you see the word nations being used in uh, reference to people, it is generally the Gentiles. Because to the Jewish people, the Jewish writer, anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. It didn't make any difference who they were. So, the overriding purpose of Judaism as well as Christianity was to be a vehicle from God through both Judaism and uh, Christianity to be a voice to all mankind. Yes, sir? Yes. Well, remember now, you gotta be careful. Noah is an allegory. It is not history. Okay? Yeah. Uh, just like Jonah and, and several other books of the Old Testament. That doesn't mean that they're not good, but you gotta be careful because they're not history. Yeah. This is important because although the Old Testament does not spell this out very much. God's purpose in forming the Jewish nation in the first place, beginning with the call of Abraham, was to be a vehicle to talk to all mankind. And yet, as time went on, the Jewish people sort of began to enclose themselves into an exclusive group And wanted to exclude everybody else. All right, they were very inclusive. In other words, they wanted. They were very exclusive to their own people, their own ideas, their own rules. In fact, uh, it was a Jewish law for many, many years uh, that they could not associate uh, or marry outside of their Jewish faith, or they would be. uh, excommunicated right? you even have a lot of people that still look at it that way how many of you have heard at least of someone who was ostracized from their Jewish family entirely cut off as if they were dead because they married a Christian we did not any longer you know, even Catholics, you're right. To some degree, uh, in Catholicism, we had similar ideas and concepts. That has been relaxed a great deal once Vatican II opened up to one of the major documents, which is called Lumen Gentium, which means, translated into English, Light to the Nations. Yes, Jeff? Yes, but that was for a specific reason, not related to this. All right. Yes, they were set up in their own tribal locations. That's right. But those were for totally different reasons, okay, which I don't want to get into. Yes, Lou? it's obvious to me that God
1: Huh?
0: One female prophet. <laughs> who, who there were many female judges. Okay. All right. There were no female literary prophets that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, but God spoke to women as well as men. Not quite as much, because it was a male-dominated society. All right? And the woman had virtually no voice in anything. Uh, no, uh, Angel. Yeah. I man, angels. Well, angels were another one of those groups, you might say, that God used uh, as a partner in but remember that, well, Marty? Oh, Judith? Judah, Judith was considered a prophet, or a prophetess, yes. But remember, Judith is a story, not history. Okay. Yeah. The same with Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth is story, not history. Yes, Christy? Well, I have a question. You know, if you said Jonah and Miller is not history. Right. Because they have a message that is in line with the teachings of God. And that's true with a lot of the book of Job is not history. All right. Judah, Ruth, Esther, Tobit. All of those are stories. But that doesn't mean that they don't have a great message. All right. The same as I often use the book of Gone with the Wind. You can learn a great deal about the Civil War. Just because it's history doesn't mean that the Civil War didn't happen. See? So, many books of the Bible, the Old Testament, are not history. They are stories. But they're to present a specific message. And that is why they're in there. They're inspired. The word inspired means that there is a message that God wants people to hear. It doesn't mean that this actually happened. Yes, ma'am? Well, you can tell from a lot of the details in it that it is a story and also by who wrote it. Yes. Sir. Yes.
1: Yes. I find it very interesting that God now did away with Israel and kept Judah, and we know that because that's what the prophecy was. But when the Assyrians came in and took away all of the Jews and assimilated them, there must have been some people left. So which were the non-Jewish people left?
0: Or... Well, what, all right. Let me go back and say what Dick is talking about here is in the northern kingdom when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. They carted off in the same way that the Babylonians did in southern later. They carted off all of those people who could do them some good. You know, craftsmen uh, Farmers, housekeepers, teachers, that kind of thing. Anyone who was ill or um, had other problems or little children and so forth, they did not take those. In their place, they brought all the jailbirds, the no-do-gooders and so forth from Syria and put them into the northern kingdom. These became the Samaritans that were so much hated later on at the time of Christ. And that is why they were hated, but a lot of people don't know that or understand that. They were hated because they were not Jews. They tried to assimilate, but they tried to kind of skirt uh, both sides of the fence, retain some of their own uh, previous religious ideas, and pick up some of the Jewish concepts and ideas as well.
1: In the difference was then that there were no leaders from uh, Israel to come back. They were not released to come back. So that's why Judah uh, became the center of the
0: Hebrew nation. Yes. Yes. Because you had some leaders come back from Babylon and set up house again, you might say. All right, we have a few minutes left. Any other questions? I know this leaves you hanging, but that's what I really want. You know, uh, so that you'll come back and you know continue continue next week, you might say. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. I know that we've spelled out an awful lot of information, but as time goes by, I'm sure, that it will be sorted out and hopefully understood. So we thank you for your blessings. We ask that you continue to bless us throughout the week so that next week we can start in uh, from a point of understanding and with confidence learn more about your prophets. So we thank you for the time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name.